0: He's he's just laid out everything in the first 11 chapters. Uh, Paul has said, I've taught you doctrine, I've given you instruction, I've admonished you, I've warned you, I've explained things to you for the past 11 chapters. Therefore, therefore, I've got something that I'm going to, I'm going to, tell you this vital right now he said I'm gonna present something to you right now so now know this terminology it, it, when it says I beseech you the terminology means it's his desire to lead them to a decision he's about to to put before them he wants to lead them to it he's not saying you got to do this he's not driving them to it he's not trying to get them to conform to it he's not trying to force them into it he's saying from my heart I'm begging you. You know the truth is, is that I love this. I love this because this is this is my heart. This is the, honestly the way that I desire to preach and to teach. I'm trying my best as I'm gonna present what he presents here tonight. This is this is where it is so important that all that God has said and done to us uh, through these eleven chapters. Now, please, can we just? fulfill his request, what he's saying to us now. And so he he wants this decision uh, that he is about to request to be a decision of the heart, not a decision of conformity. And that's what he's stressing right here. He's stressing, I, I don't want you, I, I'm not commanding you to do this. He said, I'm, I'm asking you, I, I, I'm asking you to, well, we're going to get to it. We'll see here. He says, now, therefore, here, here's what you need to do, is what he's saying. Therefore, because of all that God has done and all He said and all he's done and all he's taught you, he said, now, I beg you, therefore, brethren. Now, in chapter ten, chapter ten, brethren, kind of had a connotation of his national brethren, the kind of the blood brothers, you know, those of the Jewish race. But here he's talking to Christians, so he's talking to us. He's speaking here to the to the saved. Now, this this request is not. Made by the, he says here, just and again in this verse, I'm, a, I'm trying to go so fast I get myself messed up. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Now, and again, I want you to notice that, that it, it doesn't say by the mercy of God, but by the mercies of God. Uh, and and so the request is not, is not made by the mercy of God, but by the mercies of God. Psalm forty four twenty six says this: It says, Arise for our help and redeem for our help and redeem us for Thy mercies' sake." And and mercies is in great sense kindnesses. So really, what he's saying, he's saying all the incredible goodness kindnesses and mercies that God has had on you, and he has had so much mercy upon us. And it's not just, you know, he had mercy on us and saved us. No, he had mercy on us to give us breath every breath we take. He's, he's had mercy on us to keep, just keep us from being just obliterated for the, 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 the ignorance that we perpetrate. Uh, I mean, okay, he's had mercy on America right now. We, we, we are just continuously begging for the judgment of God. We really are, and, and yet God's mercies endureth forever, and so He, um, his mercies, and, it, and it's his kindnesses, and so God's kindnesses, and he's, they're multiple, and so many, his mercy, Paul says, is saying that he is able even to write to them. I believe he's saying, I'm writing to you because of the mercy of God. I'm writing to you because of God's mercy. He's saying to them, you're receiving what I'm writing to you because of God's mercy. Do you understand? Uh, It's God's mercy that gave this, moved Paul to write this, and it's God's mercy that this got delivered to them. And so Paul says, I beg you, you who are my brothers in Christ, and I beg you from the pit of my heart with all the intensity that can only come from God Almighty, a love that stems from the love of God. Hey, this is what he's trying to make clear to them. I, I'm asking you, but, but not through my love, not through my mercy. I'm asking you and I'm begging you through the, because of the mercies of God, but from the my, pit of my heart to hear what I'm about to request of you. And what does he beg? To present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now, that's going to be a tough request. And that's why I believe He preps it by saying, "This comes from my heart. I'm asking you." And can I tell you, folks? That's really what God is asking from us right now. He's asking from all of us to present our bodies a living sacrifice. I, you know, I've told the story so, over you know uh, many times uh, over the years, but my, my wife was told. Uh, Years and years ago, you know, when we first got married, because of medicine she was taking, she was advised by the doctors not to have children. And uh, and and because of that medication and because of that, they, the babies would be deformed and all this kind of thing. And so that it was just best. They, the doctor was saying that she shouldn't have children. And and through this this passage, Romans twelve one and 2, which is her life verse now, uh, verse says now, uh, she came early, early, just in months into our marriage and said, said, I believe that God wants me to present my body a living sacrifice to have children. And God gave, gave us six beautiful children without without any any damage. Well, all, all except for Amber. But the, uh, no. She wrote today, and they always contact you on know, that WhatsApp thing, and she wrote to her sister. She's, she's uh, Amber's going to have a baby. Of course, you know, probably they all are, and I just don't know it. But the but uh, she's she's gonna have a baby, and she said that one of, one of them told her to take some kind of tea that would keep her from you know she's having nausea and having real bad nausea and so ginger tea, ginger tea. Right, Brooke is a ginger tea, is that right? Ginger tea. And so Amber wrote and said, "Am I the only person that drinks this ginger tea that's supposed to keep you from nauseated?" And I and she said, "And I vomit." <laughs> and uh, and and I just wrote back and said, "Baby, you have to understand the ginger tea works for normal people," and so. <laughs> And so, but I want you to notice it says your bodies. You see, every word is important when we when you go to breaking down the scripture. And it says your bodies, not your heart, not just your motions, not just your spirit, but your body. And this, again, this is is a place where a lot of people are kind of losing it in our Christianity today. It's, oh, my heart's to God, and God knows he has my heart. But he says, present your bodies. You see, God's wanting that physical part of you that man can see. God wants that transformed as well. Present your body a living sacrifice to God. The lamb or oxen sacrifice was supposed to be without blemish, and I and I think there's a direct correlation here. Of course, there's a correlation with Jesus. Jesus was that without blemish, and they pictured Jesus Christ, the Lamb to come. But now Christ is saying to us, God is saying to us in the Word of God that we're supposed to present our bodies a living sacrifice to Him. And so I think that there ought to be a little bit of a correlation. How would this be accomplished in us if we're supposed to present our bodies? And how would we present our bodies without blemish? Well, he gives us that how, how we're supposed to present our bodies. Now, first of all, it says in the scripture, if you look at it, it says we're supposed to present our bodies a living sacrifice. That, that means that every step we take, every breath we take, every day we get up, everything that we do, everywhere we go, everything we watch, everything we listen to, our attitude our person. Everything ought to be given to God. A living sacrifice. You see, when you make a sacrifice, they didn't sort of kill the lamb. They didn't just cut him and let him bleed a little bit. No, they didn't do that. They killed him. Hey, they burned him. They, everything was gone. Hello? God says, I want you to sacrifice your body to me that way completely. Absolutely. Now number 2 the body was to be holy. Look at it, it says a living sacrifice holy h o l y holy that sacrifice the body was to be sacrificed was to be holy. By definition listen to that definition that means physically pure or morally blameless. Hello? Boy that would slap a lot of Christians in the face. Physically pure or morally blameless and and we're supposed to to Present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy, holy, physically pure and morally blameless. You say, well, Brother Hooker, what if if I've already messed up? We've all messed up. You go up, you fess up, and you go from today, this moment. Present right now your body a living sacrifice. Start now. You know, they. There was a day that the, the the lamb lived and lived and lived, but then one day it was sacrificed. Well, you know what? You may have been all kinds of ways and lived. lived you may have scars and you may have a past, but today present your body a living sacrifice. And then number three, it says acceptable. Acceptable simply means well-pleasing and well-pleasing to God. And God says, if you presented a living sacrifice and you presented holy, it'll be well-pleasing to me. And watch this, if we present our bodies a living sacrifice, just a little bit of an addendum to this, that, that thought process, it'll be well-pleasing to us. It won't be a drudgery to us. It won't be, oh, I got to do this, or I got to give that up, and yeah. oh, the church just always says you don't do this and don't do that. No, we, look, I don't say, you don't, you don't hardly hear me say don't do anything. I'm trying to get you to look in the Word of God and find out what God says. Hey. And the Word of God, God says, look, there's some things that a living sacrifice doesn't do if it's going to be holy. If it's going to be well-pleasing. Now, Leviticus chapter 22, you know, turn to 22 through 24 says that uh, that sacrifice shouldn't be, it's not to be blind or broken or maimed. Having a, a wind or scurvy or scab, ye shall not offer these unto the Lord, nor make an offering by fire of them upon the altar unto the Lord, either a bullock or a lamb that hath anything superfluous or or lacking in his parts that mayest, uh, mayest thou offer for free will offering, but for a vow it shall not be accepted you shall not offer unto the lord that which is bruised or crushed or broken or cut neither shall you make any offering thereof in your land and so god kind of qualifies that offering god kind of he, he he says there's certain certain things that shouldn't be about that offering and and the truthfully if you just took just that one one word bruised if you look again it's interesting the definition definition it means to emasculate which means to make it feel less than man it means to be handled, stuck or crushed, punctured or crushed. You know, when you really look at if you think about what God's saying, God, I believe, is making clear that He's looking for people to give themselves, their bodies to Him, undamaged by the world. And you say, Well, well what if my my body's already been damaged? Listen, God forgives the past, He wants a sacrifice. Presented to Him for the future, and I'm gonna keep saying that because we we've got to we got to begin where we are. But but I, to me, this is clearly the correlation. Again, is clearly that it's not pinned or marked or abused or used. It's not used sexually. It's not used through drugs and alcohol. It's not used. We don't give God a trash body. He doesn't want that sacrifice. That's not a sacrifice holy and acceptable unto Him. You cannot stop what has happened that was no fault of your own, but this is not what is asked. God asks that we present our bodies a living sacrifice. What we have, what we have, listen to that, what we have and where we are right now, we give it wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y, wholly and wholly, holy, W H O L L Y, holy and holy, H O L Y. We give it holy and holy to God, completely and give it holy to God. When we present ourselves holy unto God, this is well pleasing to God, and it's our reasonable service. Reasonable service means, and watch this, this is where it really gets good to me. Reasonable service means it makes logical sense and here's here's where I struggle and you men maybe this is really where I struggle I struggle when God puts this in a such a simple verse he says I want you to present your body as a living sacrifice he said you guess what I I don't want you to die for me I I want you to get up every day of your life and commit your life to me and do away those things that would make you unholy or would take the right you know just peel away Uh, it would bring sin into your life he said I don't want you to present yourself that way I want you to come to me and I I want you to present yourself holy to me, and I want you to to present yourself acceptable to me, be well-pleasing to me, and you will be if you present yourself holy. He said, I want you to do that. Present yourself that way. And watch this. He gets to the very end, and he says, it's just reasonable. You know what? It's logical that a God of gods who created us, who gave us eternal life, who gives us the air that we breathe, who makes us alive today, doesn't it make just good sense that we would serve him? And watch this. That we would serve him the way he says to be served. That's where the problem is. It just makes logical sense. If he's almighty God, and he's even the reason I'm even breathing right now, wouldn't it make logical sense that I would just give my everything to him? Hello. Does that make sense to anybody else but me? And I think... Why do we get so confused this? But but then you listen to so many people that have absolutely no common sense. They have no common sense in life. They have no common sense anywhere. And so, truthfully, they have no biblical common sense either. Would it make sense that a holy God would desire his creation to present themselves to him holy? It just makes sense that a holy God who created us would ask us to present ourselves to him holy. First Peter chapter one, verse 16 says, because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. Finally, it says reasonable service. Notice it's not reasonable for salvation, but reasonable for service. It's his reasonable service. It's reasonable for the saved to serve. And this passage teaches the quality of service that it should be. And so that's verse, verse one. The service is both worship and ministering. Now, so much in that one verse, but then God goes into the next verse, and he's going to reemphasize it. He's going to go into verse 2, and be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see our little picture up there? Be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Conformed means to fashion alike, conform to the same pattern, to fashion yourself according to. And God is saying, don't conform, don't fashion yourself to the world. Now, we're not to mold ourselves to be like the world. Even the term used is interesting, and it's amazing to me in the definition the term that's used, for it's the fashions of the world that attract the Christian so much. The terminology is that don't, don't fashion yourself to the world, and that's what they call it, fashions. And can I tell you, that's how, that's how they attract you, that's how they get you. They pull us in through their fashion. And whether you understand this or not, my wife, someday soon, as she's been working for for like 19 years on a, on a, uh, a lesson. But the fashions that, that of the world, our fashion, you can tell what somebody believes almost immediately by the way they dress, the way they look, by the way they wear their hair, about uh, their, so many things. You can tell what they believe because of the fashion. And God says, you don't fashion yourself after the world. You don't follow after the world, and and one of the ways you follow, a primary way that you follow after the world is after their fashions. Even the world knows that you can tell what someone listens to and who is the influence of their lives by their fashion. You just can. You can see. Sadly, many Christians seek to fit into the world, especially through fashion. It's two areas that we try to fit into the world, fashion and education. But clearly God is saying not to con- be conformed or not to conform uh, to this world and not to conform in thought, not to conform in belief, not to conform in your worldview, which is the present term of today, not to f- form, uh, be conformed to the world in your morality, because there is a worldview, there world morality. It's immorality, but it's the world morality. The, the, not to be conformed to the world's sociology or world psychology or the world's view of creation, or uh, it just goes on and on. God says, don't be conformed to the world. Don't do that. And yes, there's a negative. Oh no, there's a negative from, in all, from almighty God. Don't do something. And he says, don't be conformed to the world. Don't look like them. Don't walk like them. Don't talk like them. Don't think like them. Don't study after them. You just don't do it. God says, don't be conformed to the world's fashion. Don't be fashioned into what the world is. But it gets more intense For it's not just a negative, though. It's a positive. He says, don't be conformed, which is a negative. And he says, be transformed. That leads us to our little caterpillar up there. That word transform is is where we get our word metamorphosis. God, God is about to tell us what kind of transformation is supposed to take place in us. What we were, what we thought, what was important to us... Our worldview, even, before we were saved, and yes, this would include where we go, what we do, how we dress, how we date, how we speak, what we eat, what we drink, it includes everything. God says what we were should be vastly different from what we are. It's a metamorphosis. Now, what's a metamorphosis? That's one that caterpillar will change into a butterfly. Now, here's what I want to show you. First, characteristics of a caterpillar. I want you to think about this. Some caterpillars have sharp spines connected with glands that secrete an irritating substance. Do you know some church members like that? <laughs> not here at our church, but you might have met them somewhere. You might have met them somewhere. No, hey, you know, look, you ever, you ever you run into somebody that just irritated you in the world? I mean, they were just, they just did not have a good spirit a good attitude then it says others have irritating bristles and the swallowtail butterfly larva emits a repellent odor when disturbed <laughs> there's all kinds of places we could go there <laughs> just don't bother that dude okay not if he's been to Taco Bell so now number two caterpillars form the major part of the diet of, of many birds and other animals Oh, so you know what? That caterpillar represents the loss in the world out there before you're saved. You know what? You're being fed on. Those people are just being devoured. They really are. are being devoured. And look at number three. Caterpillars are voracious eaters, and some cause considerable e- economic damage. And now what they really say about caterpillars is that's all they do. They just eat. Watch this. That's what you do when you're, before you're saved. You're just living to exist like our son you're just living to exist you're just living to consume you're just living to drink to eat to be merry for tomorrow we die that's the caterpillar now metamorphosis takes place so the caterpillar lives to please itself with little regard for what it does to its surroundings that's what we just read but then metamorphosis takes place and it becomes an entirely different creature that's what it becomes Looks a little different, doesn't it? It becomes a beautiful butterfly. Now, look at the characteristic of a butterfly. Do you think I'm just trying to show, that's pretty different, isn't it? Does that caterpillar? anybody want, anybody ever caught a butterfly or let it land on you? How many of you enjoy letting a caterpillar land on you? Now, if it drops on top of you, you're underneath a tree and some caterpillar or on a bush and it gets on top of you. What do you do? Oh yeah! It's like... If a butterfly lands on you, it's kind of like oh, it's so sweet. Such a pretty. little, <coughs> Okay, now you really don't do that. Now characteristics of a butterfly. A butterfly feeds. Look at this. Feeds on the nectar of flowers and fruit, and it drinks the water. A butterfly find. Oh, look at this. It's so unique. A butterfly finds strength from the sun rays a butterfly thrives and flies in the daylight and it's beautiful now here's my point before we finish this up as different as the butterfly is from the caterpillar they are physically the same creature but through metamorphosis the butterfly has become a new creature We as Christians should be as different from the world as the butterfly from the caterpillar. Y'all get this? This is what a lot of Christians don't understand. We should be as different from the world as the butterfly is from the caterpillar and as different from what we used to be as the butterfly and the caterpillar. And here's the problem. Our Christian world is teaching that you don't have to be different at all. You come in a caterpillar, you walk out a caterpillar. You know what they do? They tape some wings on your back. But you still walk out feeding on everybody, and you still walk out being fed on. You say you don't think they're saved'm I'm just I'm afraid that type of Christianity does not recognize sin, and until you know you've sinned, I don't know that you can get saved That's right. yeah, man. I'm not saying I, I, you know they may, may everybody may be saved, I don't know, but but because I, I can't know another person's heart, but I, I struggle when there's no conception of sin. Second Corinthians 5, 17 says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. As much as the, the, caterp- the butterfly is different from the caterpillar, somehow when I got saved, I had to become that different. We went out to eat with this family. There's a whole row of, you know, I call it, a, you know, Cordova reunion over here. They a whole row of people that I went to school in grade school and some of them I haven't, you know, once or twice I've seen in 45 years. And as we sat down to lunch, I just, at one moment, I just looked at them and I said, okay, y'all, I can't believe you came to church to hear me preach, but I just got to know, I mean, are you a little bit surprised (laughs) that this is what I'm doing? Now, they tried to be real nice and him and haw around about it, but the, uh, but the fact is is that I'm 180 degrees from what I was. I'm not perfect, but thank God I'm not what I was. The caterpillar is, attacks the plant that it births it i mean it's connected at birth to a plant and it consumes that plant the butterfly as its name implies flies above the earth it is beautiful and feeds on the nectar and flowers and the fruit of the water the same creature but after metamorphosis changed completely First John chapter 2 verses 15 and 17 says love not the world neither the things that are in the world if any man love the world the love of the father is not in him for all that is in the world the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the father but is of the world and the world passes away and the lust thereof but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever how is this accomplished in the christian the metamorphosis takes place by the renewing of our minds this is what happens. It's the renewing of our minds. It's a daily process. This is what God says. The daily process of seeking God through His Word and through prayer. When we're saved, we should begin a journey of complete renewal of our minds and our life. Why is it so important that we that we renew our minds every day? And so, look, by renewing our minds, we not only we continue the process, this metamorphous process that's taking us further and further away from the world. The more we renew our minds, we the re- the renovate our mind, uh, the more we do that, the further we get away from the world and the world's thinking. And why is this so important that we get away from what we were so we can prove, which means to approve or allow or examine. God says, do what I've told you and the life you will have will prove what I have told you is good and acceptable and perfect it's the will of God for your life it's good for God Uh, it's good uh, for God is good all the time and all the time God is good if we are led by God's spirit transformed by God's truth then the will of God will be acceptable to us What is wonderful is that the procedure of life leads us to the perfect will of God. This word is more than the perfection of God's will. It's the completion of God's will. And and this is what it's really talking about in in Romans chapter uh, 2. I mean chapter 1 verse 2. God is saying, let me uh, just see it here. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove. The reason? God says I want you to renew your mind daily. As I emphasized to Jeremy, he's going to walk into a schedule that's horrendous. He's going to walk into a schedule like he's never known before. He goes in and goes to school from 8 to 1. Then he goes to work from 3 to 11. And he does that Monday through Friday. And okay, we can get some rest and study on Saturday. No way. You're going to go to ministries on Saturday. And you're going to go to church all day on Sunday. I just looked at him. I said, tell me when you're going to study. Tell me when you're going to walk with God. And if you're not walking with God when you when you work when you sleep eight or nine hours a night, do you think you're just going to instantly start walking with God when you get five hours a night? And that's why I relate to him. You got to be mentally prepared before you walk in there and know what you're going to do and learn the word no. When everybody else wants to go play ball and everybody else wants to go out here and everybody else wants to go goof off here, you just got to learn to say no. I got a plan and I got a program. What is, this wonderful? what is wonderful is that this procedure of life leads us to the perfect will of God. And, that's, and I don't have any more time, but it leads us to the perfect will of God. This word is more than the perfection of God's will. It is the completion of God's will. And this is what's so important. If we continuously renew our minds, we will continue in the good and acceptable will of God, which will lead us to the end of life completing the will of God our lives. And so when it talks about the perfect will of God, it's not just talking about the imper- imperfect, not, you know it's lacking imperfection, but it's absolutely perfect. It's talking about God saying, look, you will follow through with the will of God. Folks, this is where so many fall away. Look, even right now, uh, moms and dads, you got kids in here that you're rearing. When they grow up, what are you going to do for God? I'm going to just tell you, it, 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 we, they, we, have, we have a dropout rate at two places. We have a dropout rate when our kids get to, into the teenage years because it just got too hard to try to keep on going and try to, to believe what you believe and take a stand for what you believe. It just became easier to say yes to them. There's a dropout rate from the church. But the next place is when you got your kids reared and you find out, was I doing this just so my kids would turn out or were we doing this because we believe in God? And it's something God says if you will do these first two verses, in chapter 1 and uh, and 2, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, if you'll just follow, again, this little procedure, this formula God has for you, he said, what's going to happen is you'll find yourself completing, perfecting the will of God in your life. You'll live it out, you'll continue it. When the hard times come, you continue it. You continue in the good, you continue in the bad, you continue until you take your last breath. And so, I worked and worked and worked on this. I didn't do a very good job delivering it because I had too much and trying to cram it in, but I hope, read it and reread it. These first two verses, there's so much there, but it's not just words, folks. God is presenting to us what he wants us to do he said i've given you all this information all this truth up to 11 chapters taught you doctrine taught you salvation i've taught you justification i've taught you propitiation i've taught you everything and he's warned us he's convicted he's led us and he says now now what are you going to do you're going to give yourself or not and how much are you going to give yourself I say God's looking for us to give ourselves and change as much as the caterpillar is to the butterfly. Amen. Father, I pray that you bless. Lord Jesus, thank you for your love.